Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Being pregnant, having a baby, having a newborn really kind of set my whole sexual desire haywire. Having a baby is just one of the many things that can affect a woman's libido. And to be honest, ladies and gentlemen, it isn't just women who lose their sex drive. It happens to men, too. And so to talk about why this happens and, more importantly, how you can get your sex drive back, I'm joined by marriage coach J.D. Jay, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Leslie. So part of the reason why um, I wanted you on the show is because I read a lot of other marriage people, you know, how to have a great marriage, what are the kinds of things that cause problems. And the two, as you I'm sure know as a marriage coach, two of the biggest things that cause problems are money and sex. So money we're going to talk about with somebody else on another day. But um, I ran across your post, Where Did My Sex Drive Go? And I just went, okay, i got to get Jay on the show. Because you address what is meant by the term sex drive. And you start with a term that you called arousal non-concordance, which is a lot of big words. So what is arousal non-concordance, and why should we care? Yeah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, lots of times we use the term sex drive, and what we mean is really a whole bunch of different mechanisms that all work together. And we kind of group them all together and say, oh, this is sex drive or this is libido. And it gets really confusing because then we try to compare our sex drive to somebody else's sex drive. And we're trying to compare apples to apples, but we're not. We're kind of comparing a basket of fruit to somebody else's basket of fruit. <laughs> and okay. <so> like, <laughs> one of these things is arousal non-concordance, uh, which is not a new concept at all. I, I think the term was coined in the 70s. So this idea has been around for decades, mm-hmm. but nobody's talking about it. And arousal non-concordance is basically this idea that your body can be aroused and your mind can be aroused, and those don't always happen at the same time. In fact, a lot of the time they don't happen at the same time at all. Uh, I think the stats that I've seen are in men, the overlap is about 50%. And, and they're the higher of the two. Uh, oh, of women, course it's they only, are. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And for women, it's only close. It's closer to like ten, fifteen percent. Uh, it's pretty low. Uh, and I wow. think this is because uh, for men, like men, if their body gets aroused, they get an erection, and that's a very noticeable thing. <laughs> you, know, you, you immediately yeah. know right away because all of a sudden your pants get tighter. Right. And <laughs> you start running into things. And uh, but with women, it's a little bit different. It's not quite as easy to tell that your your body's getting aroused, that blood's all of a sudden rushing to different areas, or that you're starting to lubricate or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that's my this is my guess, and I haven't seen anywhere out there anybody else making a better guess. Uh, that I think that's the reason why men's um, concordance, why why their mental and their physical uh, arousal kind of stay on the same page more often. Well, is that because, I mean, and I know that one of the other things that researchers have found is that men tend to be more visually stimulated, so 
on some level their mind and body are already a little bit in agreement because, hey, I'm looking at something, it's exciting me, I'm getting that, I'm into that feedback loop. But with women, it's not necessarily as, as visual or the mental desire or physical desire could be triggered by something else. Is that? Yeah. That's true. Like men, yeah, their mental desire is often triggered by visual things. Not all men. Right. I do have some men that contact me and say, "Hey, I'm not really turned on by visual things. Mm-hmm. You know, am I weird?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> you're not. You're not weird. You're just not average." <laughs> well, and that's another thing that people get so confused about, and you, because that's always a question I get. You know, is my am I normal? And it's like, yes. oh, I hate that question yes. because it's not about normal versus abnormal. It really is kind of average. It's that typical bell curve that we see for all kinds of things where most people fall here but you might not fall there and and especially with all the mixed messages i think we get about desire and just the whole sex intimacy package that there's just really not much information out there where people can go oh i'm this, this isn't, I'm not unusual, and this was one of the things when I, my friend said, yes, you'll want to have sex again. It's like, okay, yes, you know, <laughs> there's hope. But, you know, and, and, and I know one of the other things that I've read across is the idea that the um, studies were always done on men, so it was desire, arousal, orgasm, you know, rest. Yes, like but, males are the default sex drive medically right. for some reason. And that for some women, that arousal and desire are flipped, that they yeah. actually don't feel desire until they are phys- starting to be physically aroused. <laughs> which, yeah. which when I heard that, it went, well, this explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I always use the term like responsive versus spontaneous desire. Right, which was where I wanted to go next because you talked about this. And so what is the difference between responsive and spontaneous desire? All right, so spontaneous desire is uh, men tend to have a lot higher, a lot more spontaneous desire, and that's what we see like in movies and TV shows and everything. That all of a sudden the main characters they just want to have sex all of a sudden with each other, right? And it always manages to like line up at the perfect time, like together. <laughs> and, and in real life, that that almost never happens. Like, uh, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, say that, say that again, and say it louder. All right, in in real life. Uh, it almost never happens that both both partners want to have sex at the same time. That they're all all of a sudden spontaneously aroused together. Okay, Jay, you're not telling me that the movies lie to us. I'm telling you the movies lie to us all oh, the time. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm just totally shocked. <laughs> I like like my wife. My wife is almost 100% responsive desire, which means that she's not going to get aroused until we're already well into sex or foreplay or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there, I can count on one hand with fingers left over the number <laughs> of times that she suddenly said, hey, I want to have sex. Uh, it, and we've been married 15 years this year. Well, and I, I don't expect it to, have it to happen another you know, couple of times <laughs> in the rest of our marriage. <laughs> well, you know, it's really, I, and I'm laughing, and I'm only laughing because... Boy, can I relate to your wife. Um, and I think a lot of people can. And I know that one of the things that I get all the time is, why doesn't my wife initiate? 
And it's like, okay, Jay, I need you in my back pocket now to explain this to people. And it's not because we don't love our partners. It's not because we don't find them attractive. It's just because that's not necessarily what's on the top of the agenda. <laughs> yeah. I, it just doesn't pop into your head. Oh, I should have sex now. Like, right. it just. And I, I even wrote an article once saying, somebody asked me, well, who should initiate? And I always said, oh. you know, there, there are three ways you know you should initiate. Is one is you want sex. Uh, the other one is you know your spouse wants sex. And the third is maybe neither of you do want it right now, but you both know you need it. Because sometimes, you know, you've been having a fight or something like that, or you're growing disconnected, and it's just busy, and nobody's thinking about it right now. But if you did have sex, you know, it would reconnect you and reground you. Yeah, and that's really an interesting statement, because for a long time, my position has always been, if the answer is not a definite no, it should be a yes. For that reason, because once you start connecting in that way, once you open yourself up to being intimate with each other, one, we get that whole oxytocin release and that bonding hormone, but we're we're actually paying attention to each other and we're opening up the possibility for this wonderful way to connect. And so people look at me like, you mean I should say yes even if I'm not in the mood? I said Yes. Definitely. I mean, because <laughs> you can get there. Well, especially if you're one of these women whose your know, desire and arousal are flipped, you know. One, I always tell people, well, it's a nice gift to your partner, and two, you might end up enjoying it. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, I don't know not? how many husbands email me saying, you know, you know, their description of when their wife wants to have sex is when all the stars align. <laughs> You know, because it's like this huge cosmic event that only happens like once every 90 years or something like that. And, well, and it's usually that, that way that they think, oh, well, I'm not feeling like I want to have sex right now. So that means we are not having sex right now. Well, and that's and that's one of the frustrations, I think, is that the person who either has the lower desire level or, you know, the one who wants it less actually controls that and controls the amount and i think that does an awful lot of harm in relationships yeah i agree uh one of the first articles i ever wrote about this topic was uh is sex a need or a want Ooh, Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a toughie Mm. it got a lot of people upset and i got a lot of people going yeah that's exactly what i'm feeling like uh people loved love to love it or hate it Uh, nobody was sitting in the middle uh Uh, But I basically said, and people would argue, well, it's not a need because you won't die if you won't have it. I said, yeah, you're great. It's not a personal need. Well, I think it's a marriage need. Well, actually, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you because I don't know if you know about this experiment, and I cannot think of the who did it. But it was done in the late 1950s or early 1960s where they took baby monkeys away from their mothers when they were like three hours old, and they put them in a cage where they had the hard wire, you know, cold mommy monkey that had the food and the soft, warm, cuddly mommy monkey, and the babies almost starved to death because they didn't want to leave the warm, cuddly monkey. So the idea that, yeah, nobody, yes, nobody will die from lack of sex, 
but it isn't necessarily the same as saying it's not a need. I don't know if you're familiar no, no. with Willard Harley and his book, His Needs, Her Needs, or right. Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs and the belonging needs. They're, they're, they are needs. Now, yeah, you're not going to die without them like you will if you don't get food or yeah. water. But, you but you'll fail to thrive. Yes. And the relationship will die. Yeah. And you personally will fail to thrive. So I think yeah. that's a really important thing for couples to understand that yeah, I, you know because I think when, I think um, Dr. Harley talks about sexual fulfillment as being one of the emotional needs and affection is also in there and so there's this there is a physical component of the emotional connection in a in a relationship yeah Um. Yeah. So yeah, that, it, interesting. I'm sure. I'm sure you really were met with. What do you mean? I have to do this, and you know, that's the other thing. I have to do this. It's you know that's that's a very interesting perspective when we're talking about you know relationships and marriages specifically. About how do we include our partners, and how do we, and and again, how do we even talk about this? Because you're, you're talking about this. Um, responsive versus spontaneous desire and the understanding that that sort of has to be in place just for, oh, you work this way and I work this other way. And how do we make it work, find a mutual way that we both are feeling good and and loved and cared for in the relationship? Yeah, and that's a difficult part because I think a lot of people, they get into relationships not because they want to love someone it's because they want to feel love themselves like most of us get married for very very selfish reasons Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, i know i know i did when i got married Uh, i was just like yeah that girl i want that girl forever i want it (laughs) like it's me (laughs) right Uh, and uh, it took it took quite a few years to realize this is not about me Uh, you know that it actually works better when you flip it around and you say no I want to give to this person for the rest of my life oh if we could just get people to understand that it would be we would I I think you and I could probably put an end to most divorces if we could just get people to understand that yeah I I, have never believed the concept that people are incompatible I I think people have too much pride and they're not willing to live for the other person yeah I was having a conversation today about irreconcilable differences and I said yeah. that that's a false statement almost any different you know almost anything can be reconciled if you're willing so yeah the, the irreconcilable difference is their attitude exactly <laughs> so well this is happily ever after is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with fellow marriage coach, J.D., about the complicated issues of libido, desire, and intimacy in a long-term relationship. And so if physical intimacy is an issue in your marriage, I invite you to have a confidential conversation with me about how to reignite the fire. Don't settle for a less-than-fantastic intimate relationship one more day. You can give me a call at area code 919 Nine two four zero four six three, or send me an email and 
at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com. And take advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after marriage strategy session. And so now I want to get back to Mr. J.D. and talking about this wonderful topic, this very important topic about libido and desire and intimacy in your relationship. And so, Jay, one of the other things you talk about, which I find very interesting, is something you call the dual control model. This sounds like we got, you know, adjust a bed or something. What, what, <laughs> you know, what is this? Yeah, I, I'm not sure who came up with this model. I can't... I- can't, can't find the first time it's come up. Um, but uh, it's basically, for a long time, we've always had this idea that sex drive is like, it's like you, it, it goes forward or it goes back. And that that's all we have. You know, you're either moving forward or you're not. And it turns out that it's more like you have a gas pedal and a brake pedal. Okay. And like you're driving in a car and your gas pedal is kind of what, what turns you on and what arouses you. And your brake pedal is what stops you from being aroused. And everything that we see in our culture is basically always telling us the only thing there is is a gas pedal, that there's no such thing as a brake pedal. You know, if you look at all the Cosmo magazines and everything like that, it's all, oh, here's new sex positions to turn on, turn you on and new ways to turn you on and try blindfolds and try this. Everything's about hitting the gas. Uh-huh. And we just, we're just, oh, you're not moving? Oh, well, let's just give more gas, more <laughs> gas, more gas. And uh, the fact is, in our culture, we have a lot of things that are, like, just stomping on our brakes. Oh, yes. And it doesn't matter how much you hit that gas pedal if your foot is on the brake pedal, like, on the floor, or your parking brake is on. <laughs> you, know, you can just spin your tires all day long, and eventually you'll burn out your transmission. Well, exactly. Yeah, you burn out your marriage. So what are the kinds of things? I mean, I'm sitting here um, as a mom, as, <laughs> you know, as and thinking, well, children are, can be a real break. <laughs> yeah, they can be, especially um, if they're awake and they're still, you know, in their beds and you're like, oh, there's only a wall between us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a big break. Mm-hmm. And you know, chores can be a break. You know, it's we'll yep. well we'll have sex once you know the dishes are done and the laundry's finished, and yep. you know, or even a break. And then of, you're too tired to do it. Right, right. Well, and yeah. So that's another break. Yeah. So okay, so those are kinds of the things that are breaks. Because being a woman, I can only speak from that perspective. Um, and some of them are, are good. Like we should have breaks. That's if you have no breaks, then you, you have a serious issue because there are, uh, these things are put in place for a reason. Like so that you don't all of a sudden get aroused while you're out in the middle of the grocery store and think, Hey, this is a good time to have sex. Right. You know, we have breaks so that we go, no, this is not an appropriate time to have sex. And the problem is sometimes we misunderstand what those things are. Like we think, Oh, the dishes are not done. So therefore, this is not a good time to have sex. You know, and we we pile on so many stressors in our life and so many things in our life that we're like, no, this is not a good time. This is not a good time. That our brains just get overwhelmed, and it's just like we jam the brake pedal on the floor, and it almost can't be lifted up again. Well, and it's really interesting because when you said that, it just made me think of what we all. Well, not all of us, because I have somewhat rejected this, but this idea of busy. That I mean, I get a lot of 
people telling me they don't have time for sex. And I'm going, well, okay. Um, but it's because they're so busy doing other things that it get really does get put on the back burner. Yeah. And they're stressing about, you know, all these things that aren't getting done without realizing that the fact that they and their partner are not physically connecting is one of the worst things that will happen to their relationship, and they need to pay attention. Yeah, I, I, I've heard had a lot of wives telling me that, oh, there's just not enough time to have sex. I'm like, well, you're going to find you're going to have even less time when you're divorced and <laughs> you have to ship your kids back and forth between houses. You know, uh, that doesn't make it any easier. Uh, and it's, it's not that they don't have time. It's that their priorities aren't right, right? Too, too often... One of my biggest problems in a lot of marriages is they put their kids as too high of a priority. You know, oh, they will spend, you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> they'll spend 10, 10 hours a week shipping their kids from like soccer things to ballet to this class to that thing. And then they go, oh, and I have no time for my marriage. Right, and they don't ask their kids to fold their own laundry or put away yeah. the groceries or do some of these other things because their kids, you know, we, we, we can't ask our kids to do that. And I'm thinking, yeah. I bet your parents asked you to. Or yeah, forget, excuse me, forget asking, telling. Yes. <laughs> let, let me rephrase that. You ask, and then when they say no, no. then you tell them. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like never ask you know, if, no's not an, if no's not an acceptable answer, don't ask the question. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's... And again, I think that's really a function of our society. I mean, we've we've got this idea that we have to be running from morning to night, that if you're sitting still, you're wasting time. If you're spending alone time with your partner, well, that's not productive um, yeah. because, oh, by the way, little Susie might have to go read a book or something <laughs> because you're not able to play with her right now. It's like, no, go read a book. Um, yeah. And how do we – and it playing, it's playing out in the bedroom. I mean, I read somewhere, and it was really rather disturbing, that couples who've been married, you know, two years or less weren't having sex. Yeah. And I'm thinking, now, if there's a newborn in the house, I may give you a pass only up to a point. <laughs> but short of having a newborn in the house, what is that about? I don't know. I'm seeing a growing trend in that, too. More and more husbands and wives emailing me saying, hey, I've been married for two years now. We still haven't had sex. And not like we're not having sex. Like, we've never had sex. And that's very odd. And then uh, more often it's, hey, we've been married for a couple of years and we have sex once every few months. Mm-hmm. And it's not just husbands saying this. It's wives, too. Right. Lots of wives. And so how do we shift this? What needs to happen, <laughs> other than realigning priorities, which I do think is important? But is because it's like you said, every place you go, I mean, you see the Cosmo magazines, you see the Maxim magazines, you see, I mean, pornography is, you know. Rampant. A multi-billion-dollar industry. Yeah. You know, the last stat I saw was that uh, an, a male... Like a full-grown male will only have a four percent chance of not interacting with pornography, like on a regular basis. Wow! Four percent. Wow! That's 
That's crazy. That means that basically no men are safe <laughs> like well, from it. I mean, so is it because have we substituted or is it, you know, because, you know, people's, you know, I'm sitting here like blah, 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 babbling because I'm so, just so stunned. I don't even know how to put my thoughts together around the reason why most of us want to be in a relationship is to have somebody to care for, to be cared for, to feel loved, to be you know, to be loving, and part of that is that physical interaction. Now I realize that we have you know varying levels of you know wanting to be touched or or wanting to have sex, and you know it, it's on a spectrum, um, like everything is, but. I think that's an important part of be of feeling connected, and we seem to be like heading over a cliff. Yeah, away from think, all of that. I, I think we're growing up now in a culture that we want the good feelings, but we don't want to be intimate. <laughs> okay. Right. We yeah. we want all the benefits of intimacy without any of the risk of intimacy. Because intimacy is hard. Intimacy requires being vulnerable. Yep. It requires being so close to someone that they could they could destroy you basically. Mm-hmm. Like not maybe not physically, but emotionally. And right. people are terrified of that. And that's really interesting because I will tell people the minute you love somebody, you have given them the power to hurt you. Yes. And, and that's a good thing. Well, yeah, it's not. Well, <laughs> well I mean, and I, uh, I, and I've been hurt. I'm not going to lie, and it's not a pleasant feeling, but it's also made me who I am. Yeah. And we can only grow if we're if we hit a setback. I don't. Um, Pat Condroy, who wrote the book My Losing Season, talks about this as you know the reason that that losing all those basketball games at the Citadel set him up to be able to handle the loss of his mother because right. he understood what that what those hard feelings were, and now we're trying to protect everybody from ever being hurt, and in a way we're protecting them from growing. Yes, now, people run away from conflict now because we we've, we've termed that conflict is a bad thing. Right. And conflict isn't a bad thing. Conflict can be a really amazing thing, as long as it's handled handled appropriately. Um, But our culture is now teaching us that conflict is bad, run away from conflict, which means vulnerability is bad, which means intimacy is bad. Right, but Uh, everybody wants it. Yeah, well, we we want all the pleasure from intimacy without the actual intimacy. And I think that's why we're seeing all these problems. Interesting. That people, it's so much easier to just go and watch porn or masturbate instead of actually getting into an intimate relationship. Because you get you get this nice little dopamine boost and you get an orgasm and you feel good, uh, even though it's kind of an empty feeling. Right. But at least you don't have all this risk. Oh, yes. But, but they don't understand that the long-term risk of this, it's so much bigger. But we don't think long-term. We only think about me, now, I want what I want. Right. And learning how to do this, like you said, in your relationship, it took time. And I have to be honest, in in my marriage, it took time. And, and I hate to tell my listeners this, 
But as you get old, well, as your body changes, because if you're going to have a baby, your body's going to change. <laughs> um, you know, there are certain health issues that you can have. I mean, we don't stay as much as I would like to. I would like to have my 26-year-old body back. But we don't stay 26 years old or 24 or 30. You know, and and so... It's a constant learning process, which on some level makes it fun because you're not actually having sex with the same person. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, you are, but but they're yeah. changing and you're changing, so you are, but you're not. Yeah, I always say God gave me the best gift in a wife because it's a puzzle that constantly changes every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can solve it every single day and never get bored. <laughs> or at least attempt to solve it. So, yeah. <laughs> some so, days I fail. Right. And you know, so I think that this is such an important thing for people to understand, which is why I'm so glad that you're out there doing the writing and that you agreed to be on the show. So tell people where they can find out more about risking intimacy <laughs> and learning about how their bodies work so that they can actually connect on this level. Yep, uh, you can find my website at uncoveringintimacy.com, and that's got links to uh, Facebook and Pinterest and everything. Uh, especially if you subscribe to the blog, um, you'll get a whole bunch of information. I also threw together uh, an ebook um, based on kind of these four topics mm-hmm. that all go together into sex drive, and you can find it at uncoveringintimacy.com/sexdrive. Terrific. Um, you won't find a link to it anywhere else, so if, if you didn't hear it on the show, you pretty much won't get to it. Uh, but <laughs> Okay, so if you heard it, tell your friends, because yeah. everybody needs this information. And you're welcome to share the ebook. You can send it to all your, your mom friends or whatever, or <laughs> the husbands. Um, and yeah, uh, a lot of people, who, I've had a lot of people read it, and they, they absolutely love it. A lot of them say, I wish I knew this 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It should basically be in everybody's wedding gift. You know, they need to, they need to get it as a wedding gift. So, yeah. um, I just need to let you guys know that being physically intimate truly is one of life's greatest pleasures. And contrary to popular belief, it isn't inevitable that we'll be boring with just one partner through the years. The level of intimacy and the amount of physical pleasure you can have can increase over time as you and your partner really learn about each other. And knowing how to make this happen doesn't have to be hard if you're willing to learn. So you can go get the ebook. You can um, give me a call. You can get this information. And until next week, stay loving. Oh.